We're continuing where we left off. This is Doug Presley, Word is Truth Christian Church, and we are going to continue with the thought of the week in prayer. It is December 6, 2020. Go right ahead, Bill. Okay. We had we had the thought of the week. Since we are one in Christ, the challenge for us is to learn how to believe in God's reality. Our believers must be manifest in a truth that respects the Father's plan enough to look past our differences to his new reality. It is to take our eyes off of what the world sees and to focus on what is not seen. The Father does not need our plans to make his plans come to pass. His thoughts are not our thoughts. First, if we don't know what God's plan is, we certainly cannot help him accomplish it. We need knowledge first, and then trust is what we need. Dependence and submission are the ways we acknowledge his love, authority, and wisdom. How can the two be one? By the work of God. Our behavior does not make us one in Christ. God did it through the baptism of the Spirit. What we eventually think about what God did cannot change what he did. It can only show respect, love, obedience, and submission to it. Or our thinking can show the opposite, disrespect, contempt, and rebellion towards the Father's plan. It is not surprising to see hatred, division, racism, and discrimination in the world. However, in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. To the extent we see such behavior in the church, it is not a reflection on Christ. It is a reflection on our ignorance or immaturity or our arrogant stubbornness in refusing to learn the new way. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. But just to say that through the Spirit, we were able to overcome what the world had showed us before believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And through growing in his wisdom and in his truth, we have overcame the way of the world. So at this time, we'll have Dwight for prayer. And as always, pray for me. Well, surely I stand in the need of prayer. Thank you very much, Bill. And does anybody else have any special requests? Yeah, pray for video up. Yeah, well, the way. Okay. Thank you, Dave. So, <clears throat> also pray for, uh, remember Fred's uh, prayer request, which is Del Shonda, daughter, his daughter. Del Shonda. Yeah. And um, I would just extend that to others we have mentioned as well. Lord knows who they are who have been affected by COVID-19. All right, thank you very much. Let us bow our heads before God in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful, exclusive experience to be able to fellowship with you and each other in love and truth. And may the eyes and ears of our hearts be wide open to the fullness of all your eternal plan for the truth, for the church, which is the body of Christ. 
and I pray specifically for Delshonda, Fred's daughter, and keep her in prayer. And you know the, the needs that we have, Father. And we also pray for all of the victims and, and patients and family and friends of those suffering from COVID-19. And I'd like to also pray for Word of Truth Church and those people on the call right here and now and people who will hear this message um, at another date based on our recordings of it. And um, may, the, may the truth be enlightening and encouraging to them as well. And let us also pray for the church worldwide, the body of Christ around the world, um, that we are all trying to seek the same thing. We are eager to um, for one spirit in the bond of peace. Um, and I know it's not your plan to make this world a better place. It is about desiring all people to be saved and come to the full accurate knowledge of the truth, which is your reality, as Bill said. To let our minds and hearts be focused on you, Father, that our joy may be full, our fellowship true, as we abide in your love. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight. And thank you, Bill. Appreciate that for uh, taking these important parts of our service. So we're moving forward. Uh, <clears throat> I can't believe it's December already. I just really, um, as I think about this year and all that has happened this year and here we are in December 6th so we are on John chapter 15 and verse 12 short verse but is packed with meaning as the word of God is often it says Jesus says my command is this love each other as I have loved you you should all have notes please Take a look at those in your notes. <clears throat> By now, we could clearly say that we are commanded to love one another. It is found in several passages, and I would say that it is it was clearly on Jesus' mind. Knowing he would soon be leaving, this thought was vital if, it, if all his other plans would come to pass. The Father's plan depended on those 11 worried, emotional, and ignorant disciples. At times, they appeared to be fragmented, jealous, and arrogant. But the reality was they were very human in the ways they responded to Christ. They were not especially noble or courageous in their motivation. They had no idea what was in store for them when they heard those selective words, follow me. They had no idea about the plan of God for their lives, but the Father did because he chose them to be in Christ before the world began. That's found in Ephesians 1.4. So with that, <clears throat> hopefully you see the humanity in those disciples. Uh, we're not giving them a pass for everything they did or said. But what we're recognizing is that uh, there was a lot placed upon their shoulders by the Father. 
fact that Jesus told them, follow me, is uh, significant in, in and of itself. I mean, this is as we go and see the full circle of what was said in John 17. He says, uh, those you have given me, I have lost none of them. Uh, where it talks about uh, they have obeyed your word and so forth. We read those scriptures. So it helps us understand the importance the Father placed on those disciples. So let, let's move forward and, and look at this verse. Jesus develops it in phrases. My command is this. So what I did was I looked at the word command. That's often a good way to start. Entole. It's an injunction that is an authoritative prescription. Prescription means direction here. Uh, commandment, precept. So these are word, ways that that word is used in Scripture. So uh, what we want to do is not associate this with the Ten Commandments. It's not an Eleventh Commandment. <laughs> this is something completely different, and we will discuss what makes this command unique. So later, <clears throat> Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. So there's much more that they needed to know. And yet he couldn't tell them all that he had uh, in store for them. So there was, I, I like what Jesus says, was uh, much more to say more than you can now handle, bear. And the disciples understood that to mean, okay, I should be with an attitude of expectation, right? The Holy Spirit's coming, I'm going to learn a lot more. I'm going to understand the will of God for my life more when the Holy Spirit comes. So when Jesus is given this command, we should say that this command is sort of uh, helpful to the disciples to get them to a place where uh, they would be able to hear that much more. So point C in our notes, Jesus knew all that would happen in the disciples' lives. He, he already saw, in fact, he knew what was going to happen when they uh, arrested him and the disciples would run. They would literally run in fear trying to get away, save their own lives. And uh, they, it was, the analogy here is like, is that they were like at the top of a roller coaster. Uh, now, you know, I, I promised the Lord I would never get on any more roller coasters in my life. That's it for me. I know they got some big ones, like, you know, Great Adventure and all these King's Dominion and all these places. Where you could get on this roller coaster and we did that when we were young in fact in new york i remember that the biggest one was the cyclone and you get on that roller coaster and you could just hear the tracks as you're headed up for the biggest drop you know and, then, and you get to that pinnacle and and then all of a sudden you know the roller coaster goes down and everybody just starts screaming yeah, we did that when we were kids in fact, we said, let's go again. <laughs> now, uh, 
I have no tolerance for such things in my life. I would not ever attempt to get on a roller coaster. But the disciples were just like they were almost at that place where they were getting ready for that big drop. They didn't even know it, though. That was the, the thing. They were walking. Well, what things? What are you gonna? Ha- what's gonna happen next? And they were. Why are you leaving? And they just didn't know what was gonna happen. But Jesus did. He says, "One thing is clear that you need to know: make sure you love each other as I have loved you." You may not understand it all, but these are things that you can understand. Love each other, just like I have loved you. So, when I think about that big drop, it was an emotional roller coaster for the disciples. I mean, it was, he's arrested, what? Then he's going to be crucified, another letdown, and then he dies, I can't believe it. You know, and then he's raised, and they were happy, and on and on. It's just crazy. Then he ascends to heaven. So... Um, it's, it was certainly a lot for the disciples. And, and of course, the Holy Spirit hadn't even come yet in all of that. We still had Pentecost to, for the disciples to come to even more understanding of what the Father's will for them would be. So point D, let's keep going in our notes. He revealed everything he could and what he wanted to leave them with is this command, love each other as I have loved you. And the command is, this is what you, you need to pay attention to. This is an injunction. This is a precept that I'm adding that's of, of the most importance to you right now, given all that is getting ready to happen in your life. What do you need? You need to love one another. And we're going to talk about what it means more as we go. But that one injunction there is key for what they needed at the time. So point E, the disciples were involved in something far greater than they could comprehend. Uh, It's like when we read 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10, which we have read a lot of times, I do know. But let's read it again. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and 10, it says, However, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These things, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So there was nothing that could prepare them. For this other than the words that Jesus gave them prior to them receiving it. Those words in introduction, uh, those words weren't complete because he says, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now handle, but I'm going to tell you what I can. So um, this, this command is more so for him, them to remember, right? This There's no way that they could have a breath of the full church age that was before them. The 
full dispensational change and all that it would mean for uh, the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, there was no way the disciples would have comprehended. It was beyond what I could see or ear had heard or had entered into the heart of man. It was beyond all of that. So, point F, it is like Jesus was saying, If and this is, I've heard this at plenty of uh, discourses and presentations and things that I've been involved in in my life. It's, it's like someone saying, if you didn't get anything else from this discourse, just remember this command. <laughs> like if you, they try to boil it down. If you didn't get anything else from this, remember this. And this is what Jesus is really saying. He says, love is important here. This is what is going to be the glue that keeps this thing together. And John 14, 25 and 26 says it this way. Uh, let's turn to it. John 14, 25 and 26. He says, all this I have spoken while still with you. Now, I, Jesus's feet are still on the ground talking to his disciples. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, notice this, will teach you all things. That's the much more that I have to tell you, the all things. And will remind you of everything I have said to you. So no, Jesus did say a lot to him. But remember, all that Jesus said to them, they couldn't really comprehend. They didn't really fully understand. Um, and what did it boil down to in John 17? Just that they know that you sent me and have loved them and so forth. That's what it was boiled down to. That Jesus told that to the Father. He says, Father, uh, these, I'm... I, well, let me just read it in John 17. I've made references to it twice. So John 17, 6. I have revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. That's the plan. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Notice, they accepted them. And they knew with certainty, what did they know? That I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I didn't go into all the detail. and Do they know it all? No, they don't. They know enough, though. And Jesus said, yeah, when the Spirit comes, he will tell you all things. He will tell you about all things, and he will tell you, and remind you, rather, what I have said to you. They needed not only the reminder, and I think the church needs a reminder. Because what happened at Pentecost, a lot of people today look at as emotional and, you know, some just miracle signs and wonders. That's where they place this. But what they don't do is they don't go back and be reminded of what Jesus said, what happened during this critical time for the church, right? the, the inauguration of the church. Something big is going to happen. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit will not only focus us on the verses we have been covering in John 4, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, but 
it, but he will teach us all things. Right. So we, we have from Jesus his teaching about it, but we also have the teaching about all things. So this is information that we really do need to focus on. So like if you didn't get anything else, Jesus is saying, remember this. This is what you need to keep in mind. All right, let's keep going. We are not, point G, we are not to think of Jesus' command as the Mosaic Law. Well, when I say that, I know people, as soon as they see the word command or commandments, they automatically assume it's the Ten Commandments. But this is something where Jesus is helping the disciples uh, stay together and what they need in order to begin and form uh, this new age that they're going to be uh, leading out as apostles in. They have a tremendous responsibility of the church on their shoulders. They are the apostles uh, in the foundation, Ephesians 2.20, um, where they taught uh, the, the foundation of the church and that we are to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So this is part of who they were in this. Uh, so the Mosaic Law was starting a new dispensation, Israel. Now we could think of it along these lines, whereas the, the church age began at Pentecost, and all of the uh, instruction and understanding of the church age is not only given by Christ, but also given by the Holy Spirit, right? Those things that we would teach us all things. So that's, that's our heritage, the hope of our calling. We could also say it that way. So let's get into my command is this. So how can something be old and new at the same time. So we got a couple scriptures that we need to focus on to understand that. First John 2. And there's a, a lot of scriptures on this. First John 2, 7 through 9. Let's just look at how he says it here. First John 2, 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one. So there he's saying, I'm, I'm telling you something. I'm not writing a new command but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. So verse 7, he's saying, you could also translate this. I'm telling you the same thing I told Israel. You already know this. Not something new here. So if I look at um, Leviticus, there's... The, the one verse I pulled out of here is Leviticus, and it's um, 19 and verse 18. Way back to Leviticus 19 and 18. I'll just read it out of, out of the order I put it in. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. When he says, I am the Lord, he's saying, this is, this is uh, important. And he says, keep my decrees. Um, you know, this is important. I am the Lord. So, so this, this is a mandate from God. It's a command from God to love 
your neighbor as yourself. So it's about conduct. And uh, Jesus is saying, uh, well, John is saying, John, let's go back to John, our verse, 1 John 2, verse 7 through 9. So now we're looking at verse 8. We know what the old command was. It's the message they already heard. They knew what that was in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, But verse 8, yet... I am writing you a new command. So this is interesting. We, my question was, how can something be something that is old? How can it also be new? In this case, it's an old command, but it is yet a new command. <laughs> Even though it's the same command, it's new. This is what John is trying to point out. Its truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in darkness. So notice the new command is something different from the old. Why is it different? Well, it's essentially the same command. Same command, love your neighbor as yourself love each other same thing except the new part of it is that now christ is here and the father's plan is revealed that wasn't revealed back in israel so this has to do with our new dispensation the revelation of the mystery which was hidden in god and now we're seeing this come to the fruition of understanding uh, the light now is, is now shining. That's the difference between... So that's what makes the command new. So even though it's the same old command, the truth of it, or the s- central to this command now, is the fact that we're living in this age. And as if I just use John's words, its truth is seen in him. Who's in him? In Christ. And in you. So... so not only is are you in Christ, but Christ is in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So what is he getting back to? Loving your brothers and sisters, right? Because I, I think that the key is, is understanding that we are uh, one body. Right? There's a lot more to that. So there's how something can be old and new at the same time. And it's not to say that we... Have completely, Jesus, I've given you a new command, and he dresses it up in a different way. Because we've seen examples of him using words like election, chosen, predestination, you know, foreknowledge. We've seen him use those words before, but he has used them in a new way in the church, right? We are chosen in him before the creation of the world, and we, it is about our purpose. He gave those commands to Israel because they needed to have the same camaraderie and fellowship and rapport between one another because the whole world, they were God's nation in the world. All the other nations were not aligned with them. They were all by themselves as God's peculiar or holy nation. It was important for them to recognize who they were as Israel. And so it is important for us to recognize 
that we are the church. Right? The church is the living God. And, and all the, the, the purposes that God has for, for us is, are not the same purposes that he has for Israel. So that's important to know. And so we, we went to Leviticus 19.18 where we read it. But how about Matthew 5.43 so you can see them contrasted. So I'm going to turn to Matthew 5.43. says it this way. It says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So there it is. Jesus is pointing out, they already know this. Love your neighbor. Right? But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus added to that command. And why? Because he knew there was going to be a conflict between Israel and the church. And the churches, we're not, even though the, Israel may be enemies, we know that we're not to hate them. Right? Because they... Um, just like it says in Romans 11, right? the gifts and calling of God are, uh, un, are not able to be revoked. God gave them these gifts of foreknowledge, predestination, all of that, election. He chose them, and God will not go back on, on those things. They are going to be his holy nation even after the church age is done. So... His call is irrevocable. There's just literally no way God will turn his back on Israel. He doesn't want us to do it either. We ought to love our enemies as well. So loving one another is important, even in that verse. You see Jesus is, is reckoning, is, is harrowing back to the fact that Israel had the same command that we have. Point I, why is this command needed why is it needed so we're trying to think about all the different ways we can think about this command why is it needed so here's some central things about why and we we go back to john for that john 15 right in the context we have these words 15 through 18 oh john 15 18 through 21 here it is if the world hates you Keep in mind it, that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So there, in these verses, Jesus is kind of telling you why you need to stick together. Right? This is why you need this command. My command is this. Love each other. Well, the world's not going to love you. That's for sure. The world will hate you. And you are in the world. This is going to be a part of what you have to, uh, to go through. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's going to be conflict because of this. Jesus says, don't worry. It's, you know, you should know it's because of me. So that's important. Why they need to stick together. This is why 
um, when we think about the, the command that he left them, how important we could see how important it actually is. And they're going to need every uh, remembrance of Christ. Remember, they're going through this emotional roller coaster. That's what's next for them. So, point J. Also, and so in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So, just point J. But I want to look at uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, tr yeah, chapter 12, that's verse 5, but there are other scriptures to think about when it comes to this. So 5, just like we said, so in Christ, that's what we are, we're members together of one body, so, uh, so each member belongs to all the others. So I am not my own, uh, other other people um, in the body of Christ are my brothers and sisters. We belong to each other. We're one. So there's a couple other verses to think about along that line. I say verses 13 and 16 I picked out. There's a lot more. 13 says, Share with the Lord's people. This is Romans 12, 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And this, this goes on, and when you think about God putting Jews and Gentiles together in one body, that we needed this command. In fact, I remember Listen to me, I remember. I read in Acts chapter 10 where the sheet was let down and Peter saw all those unclean beasts on it and, and the command was, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, no way am I going to eat that. There's absolutely no way that that should pass my lips. So Peter was pretty determined because he had uh, been trained in Judaism and the Mosaic Law. He knew what was and what was not, according to uh, the dietary uh, requirements. So he, God was trying to show him something here. He had to tell him three times before Peter eventually got up. And he still didn't know. He still didn't understand it. He got up and people were at the door. He went down there and it was, so he went with those and went over to Cornelius' house and then and all of that, you know what happened after that. Well, Peter understood then what happened. And then when he related this story in Acts chapter 11 to the, the Jews, they were like listening to the story. And, and when Peter went into the house of the Gentile, that's what got me. <laughs> so Peter's telling the story. He says, yes, so I went with them and I followed them. They took me to Cornelius' house, who was a Gentile. I went inside and they were like, hold it. You went inside the house of a Gentile? You did that? They were more impressed. They couldn't even get to the rest of the story because they were so shocked that Peter, who was a Jew, went into a house of a I mean, it's, to me, it was just complete and utter disgust in their, in their hearts for what did you went into the house of a Gentile, Peter? 
So Peter had to learn this lesson. Peter said, he said, how could I possibly stand in God's way if he gave them the same gift as he gave us? That says something. Peter was trying to make that point. They were stuck at the beginning part. And you, when I went into the house, and then I no stop, Peter. You mean to tell me you actually went into a house owned by a Gentile? Yes, that's what happened. Peter says, and he told that story like three times. You could read it in Acts ten and through eleven. He had to tell the story over and over, or was it two times? I'm not sure. But even still, for emphasis, you got the message. Hopefully. They got the, the Gentiles got the same thing as they did. So it was not. Now, while we talk about, um, you know, racial prejudice and all these things in this age, we, we are one body, those of us who are in the church. And God had to deal with them on this level. In the early church, because people did not agree with the Father's plan when it came to uniting Jews and Gentiles together in one body. They couldn't agree. Now today, people have problems. It's between Gentile and Gentile in one body. There are problems. But back in the day, it was between Jews and Gentiles. And they, the, the hatred, the disgust, and the, the evil discrimination was there. And right there in the body of Christ. So what were they rejecting initially? They were rejecting the Father's plan. That's what literally that says. We don't agree with the Father's plan. Let's keep going. So hopefully, there's a lot more to cover with the second phrase. So my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Let's keep going. So Jesus said, right? here's what I think allows this verse to have uh, understanding is verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. So if we ask the question, right, and the next thought is, um, in what ways did the Father love Jesus? So Jesus is saying, love each other as just as I have loved you. Well, and Jesus told us in the previous verse, verse 9, how all that works. He says, uh, as, I, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. We're going to have to talk about what does that mean. Because it's, you could say that it has the exact same thing as Israel. You could say that, but you'd be wrong in saying it. Because we have now, as John, first, first John has brought out, we have added revelation, a new dispensation, so we have to orient to the times in which we live. If you don't, then you're going to make uh, a mess out of these verses, trying to relate them to the Mosaic Law in some way. So Jesus is pretty clear. As the Father has loved me, so in the same way have I loved you. And we need to understand. So let's ask the question. And, and first, before we do ask the question, John 13, 34 it's pretty much the same thing Jesus said, right? Uh, if we go to John, first of all, in John 15, that, that's a quote from verse 9. So he says, as the Father loves me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. 
If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Here it is. Just as I have kept my father's commands, I remain in his love. So, so the father loves the son, right? And so what does the son need to do? How does the son, does the son just glow and say, oh, I'm so glad the father loves me. No, you know what he says? He understands that that love carries with it some responsibility over his life. His love is privilege. It's preferring Christ. He's chosen him. We're going to get to more of that. But also this command is also in John 13, 35. And this is what I wanted to point out. Uh, 1335, he said the exact same thing. He says, uh, by this, um, you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there you have love. And then in 15, right, in 17, again, we have the same command. This is my command. Love each other. So, you know what I was going to do? I was going to compile. This is something you can do later. I was going to compile all the times when we are said to, you know, we have this command to love one another and how important it is for us who receive it. And But as I started digging out these verses and I thought, wow, there's just too many of them. There's really too many of them. Uh, of these references and I would be here for a long time so you know what I thought I said it's rather than me giving all the references how about you search it out this will be something you can search it out now you know what direction Christ is going here and what he means so it will be rewarding for you to see these things for yourself so let's look at it. so so we must ask in what ways did the Father love Jesus? So, Because if we learn what ways the Father loved Jesus, he, Christ says, that's the same way I'm loving you. In that way, I'm loving you. So we could learn it. So uh, here it is. Uh, first, I broke it down into two, two thoughts. One is he audibly said he loved Christ. That's the first thought. Now, I will, these verses, I'm going to go through them quick. Matthew 3, 17, and we're going to read them. It says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now, this is at Jesus' baptism. Right? So, it, after he's baptized, right, you know, he comes up out of the water, and, and then it it says, and the dove came down, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting a on him. And then a voice from heaven. This is, my, this is the Father. This is my Son, whom I love. Remember, this is, as the way the Father loves me is the same way I'm going to love you. And I want you to love one another just as I loved you. These are. This is how this all works. We want to make sure we understand that. So Matthew three seventeen, we see Jesus' baptism. The Father says He loves Him. There it is. Seventeen five, we go to Matthew seventeen five. What does that say? It says, while He was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. A voice from the cloud said, "This is My Son, whom I love." With him, I am well pleased. And he adds, listen to him. 
listen to him. Now, all the disciples heard this. They fell face down on the ground and were terrified. I could go on. This is a great story. But we, for the sake of time, we won't cover all those details. Um, but then, what about Luke 3.22? Let's go there. Luke 3.22. Um, so it says, And the Holy Spirit descended on him on, in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, I love whom I well please. I think I already captured the thought of that. Right? So, so just and, and there are other examples where you could see that the Father loves the Son. That's important, right? What Christ know that the Father loved him? Yes, he did. We'll get to this. So, the second thought of you know what we when we said how in what ways did the Father love Jesus? Let's look at what else it means. It means other things. So loving the Son also means choosing Him for service. Right? In other words, the Father chose the Son according to His plan. He had something that Christ needed to accomplish in His plan. So then look at, so, so here, here's why we get this. John 1, 18, we'll, we'll quickly go through these. John 1, 18 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is Himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So notice the Father, through the Son, is revealing himself. Right? And that's important to note, because it wasn't just that, oh, I love the Son, I'm choosing him. And then there's uh, John 3.35. Let's look at that one. John 3.35 says, The Father loves the Son. And what more than, give me more, and has placed everything in his hands. So the father loving the son isn't just saying, I just love that child. No, it is saying that I am going to bestow the entire plan on the shoulders of Christ. And so him choosing Christ as the one to bear the father's plan is an honor. It is not like, oh man, I got to go to the cross. No, it's an honor that Christ is able to to follow the Father's plan and to be a part of the Father's plan. That's he's seeing this as a high honor. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. What about John five twenty through twenty three? What does that add? Uh, five twenty. For the Father loves the Son. Oh, here we go again. Same thing, giving us more information about what does this mean, and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Wow, I could say this verse is huge. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father? That's the same as they honor the Father? You know who the Father is? <laughs> Do you recognize that Jesus is literally saying this? All may honor the Son in the same way 
They honor the Father. That's deep. We'll, we'll let that verse speak for itself. <laughs> That's what we can do. Well, we'll talk about it more as, as we can, but uh, we'll, as time permitting, hopefully we do get back to what the implications of that verse mean. So then there's John 17, verse 24. Let's look at that one. It says, Father, this is Jesus in his priestly prayer, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me, now get this, because you loved me before the creation of the world. So, Father loved Christ before the creation of the world. That's the universe, right? When he created the universe, he created planet Earth and also planet Earth. So the Father loved Christ. So this is, whenever we have reference to anything that happened before the universe was created, it always refers to the plan that God had for the church. And this is part of it. Right? This is part of the plan. And we don't have reference. And, go, and so God, before he created the heavens and the earth, he did this or he did that. No, everything we have with reference to that period of time has to do with the Father's eternal purpose. That's what's given to us. Now, is there more? Probably so. But every reference that we see before time began, before uh, the world began, before... Uh, before you created all things, right, is a reference to the plan. Just keep that in mind. So notice what love here meant. That you loved me before the creation of the world, before the plan. You already had this love for me because you chose me to have, to be the focal point, the sun, and the sun described by Roman-style adoption. It's not just, okay, I need a son. No, it means I'm, it's a, the biggest transfer of power that there is. Like it says, all things that the Father has has been committed to me. And that's what we are to, we are to understand when it comes to this. That's what's important. And then 2 Peter 1.17, there's so much in these verses. 2 Peter 1, and verse 17, Peter says, he received honor and glory from God. And this is again about the Mount of Transfiguration. Right? So this is where Peter says he received, Christ received honor and glory from God the Father. When the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So what we see is that is Christ receiving honor and glory. We also know it's about the Father, if we were to say it another way, loving Christ. It is also him conferring on him the majestic glory, right? The honor that belongs to who he is for what role in the eternal purpose Christ had to play. So it's important as we look. Those two things, right? The father audibly said he loved Christ, right? This is my son. I, of all the people, the human beings, this one who was born 
uh, of a woman under the law, to redeem those under the law, in order that we might receive the full rights as sons. This one I love. I'm choosing him for this service. It also means that. It's not just him audibly saying it, that I love the son and I'm pleased with the son, but that I'm obeying, I, I want the son to play this role. I'm choosing him for a particular service in my plan. So hopefully that's borne out. And there's a lot other, a lot more other scriptures there that I did not pull in that you could find some opportunity to, to reveal. Point C, Christ knew he was loved by the Father. That meant he must abide in his love by fulfilling the responsibility of the call upon his life. So he understood, for him to remain in the Father's love means, just like we read earlier in John, right, that he would have to keep his Father's commands. He would do what the Father had planned for him. So that was verse 10. If you keep, uh, yeah, verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So that so so the father loves the son by giving him the responsibility of the plan. The son remains in the father by keeping his father's commands. That in essence is remaining in his love. So love means more than just what our motivation is for uh, Christ. Love has to do with the Father's motivation for Christ as well. Now it's Christ's motivation for us. And then, as we see, it is now our motivation toward one another. Let's, we need to dig into that a little more. But, so we understand the call on his life, right? This is point C we're still in. So, John three thirty-five. John 3.35. I think we already read this one, but we'll read it again. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Right? That's, that's important for us to note, that one. Right? If we don't see that loving the Son means uh, this, then we will just use human love or some other kind of understanding. But no, we must be clear that this is what it means. John 6.38 is another way. To see it, so it says here. For I come down, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. So this is Christ's response to the Father placing everything in His hands. What, what's His response? Well, then I'm going to do the Father's will. I understand that the Father has honored me; He has loved me by giving me. The plan, right? And then he says, I will respond by under, the understanding of that by doing literally everything the Father uh, has commanded. He says, I'm not here to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And then there's Matthew 26, 39. 39 Matthew 26, 39 says... Uh, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. This is what he says. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, 
not as I will, but as you will. So there you have Jesus's will, but you have him deferring his life to the Father's will. And as we saw earlier, for the joy set before him, he did not, he, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and so forth, in Hebrews 12, too. So Christ did go through the Father's will, which was the cross. He did. So it's important for us to understand not only what the Father command, what, what the Father's love for Jesus meant, how Jesus understood it and responded. Now he tells us that we ought to love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. So to love each other first means we're, we're nearing the end of this thought. So let's see if we can wrap this up. Love each other first means that they were to stay together. That was important. They could not fragment. They could not uh, be fearful and you know run away from each other. And remember, they were getting ready to go through one of the toughest times, the death, burial, resurrection ascension session and pentecost so stay together what do we see in acts chapter one or chapter two they were all in one place and in one accord they were waiting for what jesus had promised they were together they were ready right they, they were leaning forward to see what was going to be next so did they fulfill this yes did they go through the emotional roller coaster? Yes, they also went through that. But what do we see in Acts? We see them all together and with one mind, waiting for the promise that Jesus uh, told them would be fulfilled. So that's stay together. They did it. I should have put Acts chapter 2 there, but you could put, add that to your notes. And then point E, love each other. Right? It also means that we realize the expectations over our lives and know that we are in God's eternal purpose, which is right in the heart. We've got to read it. I know we read it before, but we need to read it again. Ephesians 3, 10 and 11 says it this way. His intent was that now, through the church... So here, if you got your paper Bible you could underline through the church. I know you don't have your paper Bible. And that's what we used to do in the old old days. Right? We underline this, and underline that, write in the margins and all these things. Well, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. Did I mention through the church? Yes. Through the church, let's come back to that again. Who's the church? You are the church. You I'm not talking about some building. You, through you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Who? Angels. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Well, angels is the tail end of it. Before that, it was verse, um, verse 8. Although I am less than the least of the Lord, all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. 
and verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. Right? Another reference to before the creation of all things. There we have it, the plan. His intent was that now, through the church, right, the manifold wisdom is the eternal purpose of God, multifaceted. I love those words because they're so bountiful with uh, the purpose of God. So let's look at, <clears throat> I know we're running out of time here, so so just think about that. That's what loving each other means. That means that I recognize that you are also a part of that. I'm a part of it. You are. All of those who are believers in Christ in this age are a part of that. We are the church. So point F, love each other. We should then be devoted, committed to one another, prefer one another, serving one another, function together as one body. That's how we should be. And on this, we are his body. So that's the first scripture is Ephesians 1.23. It talks about the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. That's who we are in the world today. Then there's 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. He says, above all, love each other deeply. Very same command Christ said. Right? But let's look at how Peter deals with this. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. We are certainly not perfect. So, but the, the love that we have is what it, it, it refers to as our devotion, our commitment. We don't look at the, the faults of others, and that's the reason why we love them. We, we understand an overriding principle of the love that we have for each other, and it is God's eternal purpose. That's why, because th these are members of one body. They belong to us. He that is strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves, right? So there are other scriptures that say basically this thought. Let's keep going. Covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so in the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So that's and then Romans 12, 5, which we already read about the fact that we are members together of one another. We belong to each other. We are one. So point G is a, is a quote from Ephesians 4. Let's, look, let's read it. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So notice what love is like. What does it look like among each other? What does it mean to love each other? Well, 
We should be completely humble and gentle toward one another. And remember, this is what was not going on in the early church because there were Jews and Gentiles together in one body. And what did that cause? People rejecting the Father's plan, hating, grumbling, complaining, you know, all kinds of prejudice. and all. It was terrible. So what was loving one another look like? What did that look like? Here we see it. Completely humble. Make, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's Ephesians 4, 2, and 3. But also, 29 through 32 is further instruction on what it means to love one another. It's not just, okay, <laughs> whatever I think it means. Listen, listen to this, 29 through 32, and there's more I could read. We just don't have the time. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We have the same inheritance. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and brawling is fighting, and slander, along with every form of malice. That's the wanting to hurt someone. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So more information about who we are and what we need to be when it comes to loving one another in the same way that we were loved. So, and then point, the last point here, um, the body, well, it's not the last point, but it's the body metaphor insights. And there's only a few scriptures, I will read them. 1 Corinthians 12. So you can read the whole chapter, but as it relates to what we're talking about, let's just highlight a few verses. 12, 7 says, now, this each one, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given, notice, for the common good. That's 12, 7. 11 through 13 says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of, of one part, but many. So that's something we, we have to keep in mind. And then 18 through 20. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So don't look at the parts that are in the body. Don't look down upon them. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Where would the body be? Verse 20. As it is, there are many parts but one body. This is who, who we are in this world. That's what it looks like. Difference. Diversity. 
and then 20 th 25 through 27 so um, that there should be no division in the body but that its parts should have equal concern for each other if one part suffers every part suffers with it if one part is honored every part rejoices with it now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it so it helps us understand what our role is so if we understand what our role is just like Christ understood what his role is we can abide in that love of Christ we can abide in him and be <clears throat> this is the role that God has called us to be in this world the body of Christ which is huge last verse and this is 1 John 5, 19. It says, We know that we are children of God, and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. This reminds me of those verses in John 15 that we read. Right? We're at the end where Jesus says, If they hated you, then you know this is why. It's because of my name that they hate, the world hates you and so forth. He says the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So while you may befriend people in the world and you may uh, fellowship with them in some way, they are not your brothers and sisters. The, the only brothers and sisters you have are those who have been born again in this age, who are born of the Father, born of the Spirit. So... There's another way to say it, bad English as it may be. We are all we got. That's it. So we need to stick together. We need to be together on, in one purpose, in one mind, understanding the calling to which we have received. We're going to have to stop this week. We'll continue next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the, the joy that is set before us, the challenges that our head but as long as we know that we are walking in the steps you provided for us we will have joy in executing whatever and wherever you take us thank you for placing us in this position we thank you for choosing us before the foundation of the world thank you for this glorious plan and our role in it Father, all we want to do is fulfill your purposes. We love your plan. All of this we pray as we are here in the world, on the battlefield, in Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.